What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. So I am convinced when it comes to vacationing, there's really only three types of people. First of all, you have the person, the guy or the gal, who goes to the exact same place every single year for vacation. Now, that could be camping. It could be going to the beach. I mean, it could be going on a road trip to the same place to eat the same restaurant, to eat at the same restaurant, to go do all the same things every year. Type number two is the person who goes to a different place every year to experience new things and to see new sights. Type number three is the one who doesn't see a need for a vacation and says, give me an extra paycheck and I'm going to keep on working. Which type of vacationer would you might be today? That being said, there's obviously a lot of different places to go as we think about July coming up for vacation season in August. But one of the most prominent places to visit of all places is Tennessee. The Great Smoky Mountains. Going to see Gatlinburg and all of the nice, cool things there, walking up and down the street there on the sidewalk, going to those different stores, or perhaps, you know, maybe going to the aquarium. When I was in Bible college in Tennessee, uh, I'm not exactly sure why, but every semester we went on a trip, and it was to the aquarium. And we went to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge so many times, I am no longer, I no longer enjoy Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge anymore. But anyways... I remember going to the aquarium. Just imagine we're walking up the staircase. We go through the main doors. We go to all these different exhibits, and we get to this one place, and you can lean over the ledge and put your hand in the water, and there's all these stingrays swimming around. And there are all these people who put their, sting, their hands in there to pet the stingrays. And I said, no, thank you. I want to keep my hand. But I share that to say this, that, that as, as, as there was this one place there, if you could just imagine a tunnel, and you're walking through the tunnel, and you look to your left, you look to your right, you look up, and you see water everywhere, and you see fish swimming, and it's separated between you and the water and the fish by a very thick piece of glass. And I share all of that to say this, that the only way I can try to explain to you from a tangible way about how God did the Red Sea parting many, many years ago, if you could, the Bible says in Exodus that there was a wall of separation between the water and the Israelites. If you could just imagine you're walking through a tunnel in an aquarium and there's a large piece of glass separating you from the water that was very similar perhaps to how God miraculously did this miracle many years ago. Now that being said, in the book of Hebrews, we know that the writer of Hebrews, most likely I would lean towards the Apostle Paul. I might be wrong about that. But if he is Paul, if he is writing here, then we know that, that he had a, a firm grasp on the Old Testament. And in Hebrews chapter 11, he's looking back to all these key characters of faith. And so far in the chapter, it's all individuals. We looked at Abel by faith, Abel. By faith, 
Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph, by faith Moses. But now it's interesting. The Bible says by faith, say it with me, they. Say it again, they. One more time, please. They. Now it's interesting. If you've ever studied the Old Testament, you would realize that the people of Israel as a whole had much unbelief and a great lack of faith. So it's interesting to me that the writer of Hebrews says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. Today, the title of my message is simply The Faith of Israel, Part 1. Next week, we're going to look at verse 30 about how several decades have transpired between verse 29 and verse 30. But, but it's interesting here. Right here in this moment, you have to understand that verse 29 is still kind of connected to Moses because Moses was the leader of Israel and it was Moses who had great faith in God who stirred and persuaded and nudged the Israelites to walk through the Red Sea on dry land. Now that being said, as I've been meditating on this scene in the life of Moses and the life of Israel, I think we're talking about today miraculous faith. Faith in miracles. Faith in the supernatural realm that God, that only God can do. So if I could give you a thought today to leave you with anything, it would be this. Miraculous faith relies on Christ to overcome the trials of life. Miraculous faith relies on Christ to overcome the trials of life. There's no doubt the Israelites were going through a massive trial. For some 400 years, they were... 430 years to be exact, as Exodus will say in chapters 13 and 14. For those 400 years, they were under bondage to the Egyptians, especially after Joseph died. God raised up Moses, a fearless leader, to lead the Israelites at the age of 80 out of the land of Egypt. Now remember, in this chapter, we've looked back at Abraham, how God specifically chose a man named Abraham to leave his home country, to go to a new land, to establish a family, to establish a nation, and one day to establish a place to live. In a sense, it was a threefold promise. A threefold promise God gave to Abraham. Number one, I'm going to give you a son. Number two, I'm going to give you a nation. And number three, I'm going to give you a land. What's interesting is if you go back and you read Exodus carefully, you will discover that, that in that scene there were some 600,000 men who were leaving Egypt and did not count children. So if we could assume that all the Israelites on average had a family of four, you would get the number that these pastors and commentators and scholars say two and a half some million Israelites left Egypt to go to the promised land through the wilderness journey. Now that being said, by this point, they had... Isaac was born, so part one of that promise was fulfilled. They had the many people in the nation. Part two was fulfilled. They still haven't had the land yet. And then there was an additional promise that, that is, that is in, intertwined in all of those and that God would bless the nations of the world through his Messiah. And so we know that those promises one day 
were fulfilled. But here, our attention is on this miraculous faith to rely on God or Jesus Christ to overcome the trials of life and what trials they experience there. And so today, I just want to encourage you that whatever you might be going through, whatever trial you might have faced right now in your life, this day, this week, this month, God can step in and help you overcome. So here's a question I'm going to ask. What does the Red Sea crossing teach us about faith in trials or miraculous faith in trials? If we're talking about miraculous faith, what does this entail? Well, I think it entails this idea that God directs us, this idea that God protects us, that God, the idea that God delivers us. All those things are, are, are woven into this idea of miraculous faith, but, but, but it comes to a point where, where we no longer know which way to go. We no longer know how to defend ourselves and we need saving. And then in those moments, we look to God and say, God, I've done everything that I know what to do and I can't keep going. So now I need to rely on you. In Exodus chapter 12, we read last week about the inauguration of the Passover. And then in that same chapter is a commissioning of God for the Israelites to begin the Exodus season. Then in chapter 12, you have the ordinance of the Passover being established that they didn't do it just for the one time and only, but it would be done every year for the rest of the Israelites' existence. Then in chapter 13 of Exodus, we uh, briefly, it says in the first two verses, there's a consecration of the firstborn, the firstborn. The firstborn child would be consecrated and devoted and sanctified and set apart of all the other children to honor this season. Then they'd have the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Then they have the Law of the Firstborn in chapter 13. But in chapter 13, verses 17 and 22, you have the beginning of the Exodus journey. And that brings me to the first thought today of what does the Red Sea cross and teach us about miraculous faith in God? Well, number one, miraculous faith relies on God's directing power in trials. Miraculous faith relies on God's directing power in trials. Have you ever been through a trial before when you had no idea which way to go? Well, Israel in Exodus chapter 13, if, in fact, if you have your Bibles, before we get into chapter 11, verse 29, I need to show you Exodus chapter 13 and verses 17 through 22. It is in this moment that Pharaoh decides to let the people go. But the Bible says in verse 17 that it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest pure venture or suppose the people repent when they see war and they return and go back to Egypt. And the Bible says that God led them. Notice it says, God. This is the word for Elohim in the original language, the supreme deity of deities. This God who is above all gods is leading them through the wilderness journey and the place called the Red Sea. Could you say Red Sea with me? Red Sea. Now, if, you, if you're a student of the Bible, you will realize whether you pick up a commentary and start reading it from the book of Exodus or whatever, you'll realize that there's a little bit of debate among scholars about this term here, the Red Sea. They'll ask, is this the Red Sea that we know about or is this the Reed Sea that we don't know about? 
And the reality is, is the, most, the, the majority of the vast proponents who would adopt the concept of the Reed Sea are more liberal in their approach to God and the Bible, and they would deny the miraculous events that God did in the Old Testament. Now, I will say, I don't know exactly what part of the Red Sea the Israelites crossed, but the passage clearly displays and reveals a large body of water, not a little creek like Maggoty Creek in Boone's Mill. And so here, I just share that with you to say this, that you might watch the History Channel, you might read a book, you might hear some some guy on YouTube or somewhere else on the radio here and talking about the, this debate, is it the Red Sea or is it the Reed Sea? Hey, whatever it was, we know it was a large body of water that God parted miraculously. And I lean towards it was the Red Sea that we know about today. That being said, God led them to this point. And it says that the children of Israel went up harnessed out uh, of the land of Egypt. Then verse 19, the Bible says, here, remember when Joseph passed on his deathbed? He said, I want you to take my bones and go bury them in the land of promise because my home is not here in Egypt. My home is where God told Abraham and God told my father Isaac and God told me. And so Moses did just that. But check it out now, verse 20. It says, as they took their journey, they come to the very edge of this wilderness. Now, when I think of a wilderness, I think of the woods right over here to my left, your right. Or I might think of the jungle in the Amazon. But in the Israelites' mind, in Egypt's mind, the wilderness was the desert. Sand upon sand upon sand, rocks upon rocks upon rocks, dryness upon dryness, no water bodies, all these different things. They were going into the wilderness journey where it was dry and desolate. But verse 21, it says, the Lord, this is the word for Jehovah. This is the personal name for God, God gave to Israel. So in verse 18, it is the supreme God of gods. And now it is the personal Lord of lords who is leading them. And check it out now. The first miracle that we see, at least the first of five miracles that I've observed in this story, that God the Lord goes before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them. And by night through a pillar of fire to give them light. Day and night, God led Israel. And it says in verse 22, He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day and did not take away the pillar of fire by night from before these people. It is in this moment in the life of Israel where they see God's mighty power on display. The whole, the whole body of this Red Sea crossing it is, I think, if I may, may I give you my opinion? My opinion is the Red Sea crossing is less to do about Israel and more to do about God unleashing and sharing his amazing, authoritative, omnipotent power to all the world. First of all, to the Israel, so they would believe his servant Moses and the word that he gave to him. And second of all, so that they can understand God is a God of gods far better and far supreme than the pagan gods of Egypt. So listen to me very carefully. If God was able to miraculously direct 
these people back then. Don't you think God can miraculously direct you in the steps of your life right now? Didn't the psalmist say the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord? Didn't Solomon say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths? Did not the Bible promise us that God will direct us when we put him first? My friends, we can rely on God's directing power in trials by faith. God had to get the Israelites, or God allowed the Israelites to come to a place in their life when they had nowhere else to turn but to God. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe God has allowed certain events, maybe this year or maybe the last few months or maybe even last year bleeding into this year, I don't know. But maybe God is, is allowing you to go through these things so that his power can be on full display, providing a way to direct you through your trials. May I draw your attention now back to Hebrews 11? But keep in mind, miraculous faith relies on Christ to overcome the trials of life. And the first way we do that is relying on God's directing power in trials, all by faith. But secondly, if I could draw your attention to the first part of Hebrews 11, verse 29, it says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Now it's interesting. I mentioned a little bit about Red Sea before. Let me give you a little bit of a little bit of argumentation or a little bit of support of why I think it's the Red Sea. You got to understand in, in the Greek Bible, there would be a different word used for the Red Sea than for the Red Sea. And what's interesting is, is there's the, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, but then many years ago, the Old Testament was translated into Greek and we call it the Septuagint. And what's interesting in the Old Testament translation of the, the, the Hebrew into Greek, the term used is the Greek word for Red Sea, not the Red Sea. And so we believe many of the writers of the New Testament are referring back to not necessarily the Hebrew, but to the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the word used here is the word in Greek for the Red Sea, not the Red Sea. So I think that's interesting. But here it says they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Secondly, miraculous faith relies on God's directing power in trials, but now number two, miraculous faith relies on God's protecting power in trials. God directs, yes, he does. God protects, yes, he does. And we see that on display in Exodus chapter number 14. Would you turn back to Exodus 14? In fact, we're not going to read every single verse, but in verses 1 through 22 is this scene in which God supernaturally, miraculously protected Israel in this moment. In verse number 1, the Bible says that the Lord Jehovah God speaks to Moses. And remember that in this scene, they are leaving. Pharaoh's already said, get here because of the death of the firstborn. They didn't put the blood in the doorposts and the door frames. And so he said, get out of Egypt. But now in this moment here in verse 2, 3, and 4, the Bible speaks about how, how God 
It says here that God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, I'm not going to get into the weeds of this today. I'd be happy to talk with you about it later. But what I think what we can learn today is that God uses believers and unbelievers for his own providential purposes and plans. And there are certain people, Pharaoh is an example, and perhaps Judas Iscariot is an example, that God decreed that he was going to use them for his own purposes and plans and I'm of the persuasion that Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. And as Romans chapter 1 says, God gave him over to his hardness. That means that his heart was callous to God. I don't know, maybe you've ever had calloused hands or callous feet. I know yesterday out here in the parking lot, I did not have callous feet. I had these white Whiter than the wall on the building of this church here. My feet are white as can be, and they are very, very tender. I cannot walk through the gravel, and I cannot walk on hot pavement. No man. I had to put a towel down to stand on yesterday out there. But I say that to say this, that, that, that some of you might have callous feet, and you can walk on stakes. You can walk on nails. Well, the idea here between the hardness of heart is that your heart is so hardened to the voice of God that you repel it and detest it and defy against it. And I don't understand all the details here, but the Bible does speak here that God hardened Pharaoh's heart for his own purposes. And it says so that he would have honor. Verse number five. The king hears that they have finally left. And the king is now a little flabbergasted and frustrated of why in the world did we do this? I guess he forgot that he was the one that sent them away. And so anyways, he says, let's get our army. Let's go chase them. And so the Bible says in verse 8 there that through the hardness of the heart that God gave to him, that he began to pursue the Israelites. And verse number 10, the Bible says that Pharaoh draws nigh to him, to them, to Moses and to the Israel. They march there and, and, and behold, the Israelites look back. And they became afraid. You have to keep in mind, when Israel left, they, they gathered all their supplies as fast as they could. And, and I am pretty confident that they were not given, because they were slaves, they were not given all the tools and the essentials and, and all the different things for war. They didn't have the armor. They didn't have the swords. They didn't have all the bows and arrows, most likely. And so now they have no weaponry. They have no shields of protection. They have no way to combating. It's one of the most combative people in the ancient world. And so they speak to Moses. And they said, so Moses, so pastor, so shepherd, so brother, is it because there were no graves left in Egypt that you sent us away to carry us out away from Egypt? Ah, it would be better for us to have stayed in Egypt and served the Egyptians than to die out here in the desert and the wilderness. And Moses was given words by God, I believe. Verse 13 and verse 14, it says, Do not be afraid. Do not fear, Israel. Stand still, because right here in this moment, you are going to see the salvation, the delivering, the protecting power of God on full display. And notice the terminology here. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today... You will see them again, no more, forever. Check it out now, verse 14. The Lord 
shall fight for you. And you are going to hold your peace. It is in these moments when God had his power resting on Moses and speaking directly through him to the Israelites. And it is in this scene, this verse 13, verse 14, we see a glimmer of hope where the Israelites begin to have this kind of belief and faith in God to come through. And the Lord begins to speak to Moses and he gives him directions. In just a few moments, Moses, you're going to lift up your hand out over at the sea and it will divide. And then again, in verse 17, check it out now. He says, not only earlier in this chapter, he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, but he says here that he's going to harden all those that are with Pharaoh, the Egyptians. And he says, I will get honor upon Pharaoh and all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen of men. You see, in this moment, what's happening right here, God's purposes and plans. We can look back and we see it all then. They didn't probably understand this then. But God allowed them to have the hardness of heart because he knew they weren't going to believe. They saw all these mighty miracles of judgments and Pharaoh was still in, unraveling in unbelief and seeking into defiance before God. And so here in this moment, he for his own purposes is going to swallow them up in the Red Sea. Verse 19. We see another miracle. The Egyptians come right before the Israelites. And God, I don't know, maybe you've been to the fair or a circus before and you walk into that, that room full of mirrors. You know what I'm talking about? Have you been in that room before? And you can't figure out which one is you. I mean, you look in this one mirror and you're like super short and way overweight. You, you look in this one mirror and you're like insanely tall and super, super skinny. And you see all these other mirrors and, and you can't figure out which one is you. Well, I don't know how exactly God did this, but through those clouds and through this fire, he shielded Israel from the Egyptians in verse 19 and verse 20. Miracle. They couldn't see. Then in verse 21, the Bible says, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Bible gives the idea that Moses was, in a sense, if I may say this, Moses was like the puppet that God set there to make it give the appearance that Moses had this supernatural power. But the word says that the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. Now check it out now. I don't know if I've ever seen this before because a lot of times when we watch the movies and we see the little cartoons, we, we get this idea that, that Moses stands up there and in a matter of seconds this Red Sea parts. But, but here it, it actually says that all throughout the night the Red Sea parted. Now I don't know if Moses stood up there for just a couple of hours or was he there all night. I don't know. But what I do know is through a period of time, Israel went to bed. The Red Sea was together. They woke up the next day. The Red Sea was parted. And so here in this moment, here in this very scene, we see the miraculous power of God protecting his children. Today, as we think about this, we know that there's other scenes in the Bible where God supernaturally protected his servants. When Daniel was thrown into the den of lions, God protected him there. We can talk about 
the three Hebrew boys who were thrown into the fiery furnace because they did not bow down to worship Nebuchadnezzar's image and, and God supernaturally protected them. So whatever you're going through, my friend, God can supernaturally protect you through your trial just like he did the people in the past. Miraculous faith. Yes, it relies on God's protecting power in trials and God's directing power in trials. And so verse 22 the Bible says that the children of Israel went into the middle of the sea upon dry ground. I don't know. They're walking through. They look to the right. They see this wall of glass separating them from this, from this Red Sea. I don't know if, if they could see this, the fish swimming. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Our minds can only speculate. I don't know if the fish would jump out and go to the other side. I don't know. I have no idea. But what I do know is that God supernaturally parted that Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. This was all to reveal God's power over Egypt and God's power over nature so that Israel would believe in the mighty power of God. Thirdly today, what does the Red Sea Crossing teach us about faith or miraculous faith in trials? Well, it teaches about God directing His people through His mighty power. It, it teaches about God's, God protecting His people through His mighty power. But then check it out now. Thirdly and finally, as I read the last half of the verse in Hebrews, and as I read the last part of Exodus chapter 14, I, I, I consider this. Miraculous faith relies on God's delivering power in trials. God is the God who delivers his people from trials. God directs, check it out now. The same God that hardened the people of Egypt is the same God that directed the people of Israel. The same God that allowed the Egyptians to come and try to attack the Israelites is the same God that shielded them with his mighty protection. And is now the same God that allowing Israel to walk through and is going to allow the Egyptians to be, literally it means to be swallowed up by the Red Sea. You ever been really thirsty in the hot summer? Maybe you had to go outside and you had to work in the garden or maybe you had to mow the grass or you had to do the weed whacker or whatever. I don't know what you had to do, but you had to do something. You were so thirsty that you came inside. You got the biggest jug that you could find. You put ice in it, you put water in it, and you just gobbled it all up and it was gone. Well, that's what it means here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9, where it speaks about how these Israelites... Walk through, but then the Egyptians were devoured by the sea. It literally says, which the Egyptians are saying. Now that word is an archaic English word that all it means is to attempt. So that after the Egyptians saw the Israelites do that, they're like, well, we can do it too if they did it. So they, be, they begin to attempt to go through the Red Sea. But the Bible says they were drowned. And that word drowned, in the original language there, it gives the idea that the sea swallowed them up. Now, water is very important. We cannot live without water. But too much water can wreak havoc on any place. In 1985, many of you remember the day when Roanoke was flooded. And the waters wreaked havoc upon this land. Well, the Egyptians... In Exodus chapter 14, verse 23, down to verse 31, the Bible says that they were swallowed up by the sea like a flood. Verse 23, the Bible says the Egyptians begin to pursue the Israelites. And 
The Bible says that in the morning watch, look at verse 25. I thought this was interesting. Here's another miracle. So you have miracle number one, that God led Israel by the fire and the cloud. He, miracle number two is he shielded Israel from Egypt through that fire and cloud. Miracle number three is he parted the Red Sea. Miracle number four is God steps in and causes the chariots to have mechanical problems so that they could not ride them like they were supposed to be ridden in verse 25. It says, and he took off their chariot wheels and that they drave them heavenly so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel. Check it out now. You know, it's a good day when the unbelieving world realizes who is fighting your battle for you. It says, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. God is the one who fights our battles for us. As I read this verse, I cannot help but think about God's delivering power, how he is the one who fights our battles concerning salvation. Listen, faith is total reliance upon God for everything, especially salvation. There was a day in which God the Son was at war and in enmity with, with the angelic host called Lucifer and sin and the power of darkness, and he entered into humanity. And there he fought our fight for us on the cross so that all we have to do is believe by faith and God can give us that miraculous delivering power through the cross. My friend, Jesus paid it all. My friend, Jesus' blood can cover all of your sins. My friends, Jesus rose again through his mighty power and through the cross and through his resurrection. He can deliver us from our sins and he can fight the battle that we cannot fight. Listen, if I try to fight that battle against sin, I'm going to lose every single time. Whether it's in my mind, whether it's the words I speak or whether it's the action I do, I'm going to lose every single time. But if I let Jesus step in, if I let the cross and the sacrifice and the atonement of Christ to do the work that it was destined to do in eternity past, then I know that all of my sins can be washed whiter than snow. So will you let God fight the battle of salvation for you? Because he already did. Notice in verse 26, the Lord speaks to Moses again and he says, Moses, I want you to lift up your hand again and then the waters are going to come together and swallow up all the Egyptians while they're riding their chariots and their horses. In verse 27, the Bible says that Moses lifted up his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord, not Moses, not Israel, who most likely didn't have the tools and the swords for combat. The Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the middle of the sea. The Bible says in verse 28 that the waters returned like it was the previous time, covered all the chariots, covered all the horsemen, covered Pharaoh and all the host of army that he had. And check it out now. Check it out now. Verse 28 is very important because it says... Not one of them survived. I think this is important because you have, you have the, 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 the polar opposites here. Israel represents the believers. They do. 
the Egyptians represent the unbelievers. And if you are a believer in the Messiah, Jesus, you're safe and secure. But if you're an unbeliever today, you're going to be like those Egyptians, destined for God's judgment in eternity. No, you're not going to be swallowed up by the Red Sea like these people were, but this is a historical event that reminds us that one day Satan and all the angels that revolted with him in heaven, all those demons, all the unbelievers from, from right now all the way back when till in the future, will one day, will one day, none of them will remain in the presence of God's love, mercy, and grace. Verse 29 says, the Israelites, just reaffirming what the events that took place, they walked upon the dry land in the middle of that sea. The waters were a wall to them on their right hand to their left. And then check it out now, verse 30. Thus the Lord saved. Would you say save with me? Save. Say it again. Save. One more time, please. Saved. That means to be delivered. That's the power of God. I can't deliver you. You can't deliver me. Only God can do such a thing. And so there, in this moment, the Lord, the personal God of Israel, saved all of them from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the sea shore. Verse 31. This is an important verse because it reveals to us the reason why God did all these things. Why God allowed these Egyptians to be hardened? It says here, And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord. In other words, they gave God the proper reverence he deserved. Then it says, The people believed the Lord. They put their faith and their trust in God. And then it says, And his servant Moses. They realized in this moment in time, Moses was the general commander-in-chief in charge of the people of Israel, giving account to God on behalf of all of the two and a half, some million Israelites. And he was God's mouthpiece speaking through. He, in a sense, was a prophet. He was a lawgiver. He was a leader. He was a father. He was many different things. But in this moment right here, he is the servant of God to Israel, to lead them. And check it out now. As we come to a conclusion, as we think about God's directing power, God's protecting power, and God's delivering power. We, in our life, when we realize that God has delivered us from our sins, when God protects us in our trials, and God directs us in and through trials, we should only do what Moses and the Israelites did in chapter 15 of Exodus, respond in praise. Praise should always be our response to the directing, protecting, delivering hand of God. Notice Listen to these words. I'm not going to read the whole, whole song to you. You can go back, maybe read it later today or this week. Moses and the children of Israel lift up their voices and they say, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him and habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Then check it out now. Verse 11 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearfully, fearful in praise, doing wonders? God is worthy of our praise because he delivers us, protects us, and directs us. By his mighty power.
miraculous faith relies on Christ to overcome the trials of life. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.